Research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view. This is the drill down with Peter Schweitzer? Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to the drill down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. Did you hear that giant gulping sound coming from Washington? They literally swallowed up more than a trillion dollars in the name of infrastructure. Uh, to talk about that today, I'm joined by Eric Eggers, as always. Eric, what exactly did they swallow in Washington? It's a beautiful time, Peter. You know, everyone's thought that we're wildly divided as a country, you know, from the people that brought you the blue and gold dress, and we thought we couldn't get any more divided than that. Now, all of a sudden, it's a mask, and like, what does that mean? You know, for some people, it's safety. For some people, it's tyranny. But the good <laughs> news is we're moving past this era of profound divisiveness we in are. America. We now, something has happened that has brought everyone together, at least most people. Unity. Unity and tax dollars. 69 members of the United States Senate, which agree on very little, have agreed to spend more than a trillion dollars on uh, infrastructure. And I mean, this is a great thing, right? This well, is great news. Well, and infrastructure is sort of one of those things where, I mean, what does it mean? Like, I know, like, you, you know, for you, like, picking up your dry cleaning is infrastructure, right? right. That's the joke. <laughs> but uh, but infrastructure means quite a, quite a lot, as it turns out. Um, and there's a, what can you buy for a trillion dollars? Almost everything. <laughs> That's right. And when you get bipartisan support for any legislation in Washington, I'm immediately suspect. So what's exactly <laughs> what a terrible way to live, by the way? Like, how broken are it's you? It's a realistic way to live. It may be broken, but it's realistic. What exactly is in this bill? I mean, they are spending some money on actual infrastructure, right? Uh, I think so, like 550 billion of infrastructure projects. So 110 billion goes for roads, bridges, and things that, you know, you're what we we'll call old school infrastructure, right? <laughs> I would call real infrastructure. <laughs> 25 billion for airports. We call yep. that infrastructure. Yep. We like that. Yep. Um, and so that's, that's all like relatively good. So what do you, what's the problem? Like that's all real money. It's all real stuff. Well, here's the problem that I have. And I mean, call this old school, call it whatever you want. You actually had uh, senators who voted for the bill before they read it. Some of them announced their support for it before it was even written, um, which to me is a remarkable uh, performance of mental dexterity, because what they're basically saying is we're going to vote for this regardless of what's in it. On top of that, Let's just be clear. I mean, remember that 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 old schoolhouse rock about a bill. I'm just a bill mm -hmm. and I'm headed to Capitol Hill. Well, you know, in the real world, unlike that cartoon, the bill gets mugged on the way to the Capitol building because there were 2000 companies and organizations lobbying on this bill. Amazon alone. One of the largest companies in America spent $10 million in the first six months of this year lobbying uh, on this bill uh, and other issues. $10 million alone. So, you know, again, I'm going to call this suspect. I'm also going to point out, by the way, Eric, that 
Nancy Pelosi herself, this was the Senate, of course, that's voted on this bill and approved it. Nancy Pelosi herself is linking this trillion dollar bill to another three and a half trillion dollar bill, which has a whole bunch of money for social programs and the Green New Deal. So it is an atrocious monstrosity. It's large. It's certainly, it's, you know, so one trillion, three and a half trillion. What's the old joke? Sooner or later, you're talking about real money. That's right. What That's- I like, though, is that like because of your besmirching of these members of the Senate that allegedly have voted on it without having read it. Right. That tells me that you've never sent an email saying, oh, that draft looks good without having read it. I know that you've never done that. Like anytime yeah. anybody sends you anything, you're like, no, perfect. Yeah, of course. The, the difference, I would say, is that when I fail to read an email and I approve it, it doesn't have the consequence of spending, you know, trillions of dollars of money. By the way, my favorite uh, story about a government spending was um, the NASA program in the 1960s, you know, when they were sending a man to the moon uh, and there were several congressmen that were usually that were apparently at the launch site when the rocket took off and one of the congressmen turned to the other a true story and said do you smell that that's the smell of a billion dollars burning oh it's so true and uh, so this is a trillion which makes that look uh, even better but here's here's the problem I mean, one of the things we do at gai eric all the time is is we don't just look at how money spent we don't just bring up uh, atrocious examples. We, we we approve drafts without having read them. No, we, sorry. Well, we do that too. Yeah, we yeah, do yeah, that yeah. too. But what we also do is we point out that that so much of what happens, even in the name of helping people uh, that are in need, there's a business model behind that. In fact, there's a lot of money to be made by helping poor people. It's so true, right? Like, you know, my wife accuses me of occasionally being overly self-aggrandizing, which, to be honest, I think I'm great at. But the, uh, no, but I would say, I think if there's one thing that I'm proud of that we do here at the organization, I think it is sort of explore a not intuitive frame, which is money that goes to help people in poverty has a funny way of passing through like wealthy corporations on the way out the door. <laughs> right, right. Right. Like you do things to serve and benefit the least right. of these. I right. do things to serve and benefit the least of these. Uh, I don't get rich doing it. And yeah. and you don't either. It's a, here's, here's what I'm thinking. This is like meals on wheels. Before <laughs> they go to the poor section of town, they go through the wealthy section of town and drop off the really good food. Right. Because that's kind of what happens here. I mean, one of the things in the bill is digital equity. There is money devoted to digital equity. Um, $14 billion is part of that. Um, this part of digital equity, I would call instead the Comcast carve-out. What is actually the Comcast carve-out? Um, and, and, and how is Comcast the beneficiary of a program that is supposedly ultimately going to help poor people? Right. And I think the details are important here, but maybe less important than the big picture concept because like the names and the amounts will change. But I think the concepts aren't. Yeah. I think this is something that's happening in this country that people need to kind of wise up to, especially as we transition to this post-pandemic reality, right? Right, right? So there was this program that was created that essentially subsidized, I think, internet service for people among a certain category. You got, during during the pandemic? Yeah, hey, pandemic, it's an emergency, like people are stuck at home, like here's a little help, you might not have a job, let's make sure everybody still has access to online and everything. They, they need access to healthcare information Dude, and they're 100% all sorts of making, YouTube and TikTok. They're and making that. TikTok videos, right? <laughs> right, right? I mean, that's clearly what's happening. But so that program said, all right, well that, you know, pandemic's over, but what this bill does as part of infrastructure is it creates a new sort of permanent plan that will now give everybody $30 a month if you qualified for the pre-pandemic plan and or even like a certain category, right? So now everybody or at least a large swath of poor people will get 
$30 a month for your internet bill. Exactly. And here's why we call this the Comcast carve out, by the way, is it, in, th- in theory, it's a great concept, right? Mm-hmm. People that are poor, people that, that don't have the ability to pay a, a Comcast bill, uh, for example, um, need help doing it. But here's the problem. I can guarantee you what's going to happen when this passes. Comcast is going to raise the cost of their service $30 a month. It's the same reason that we have increasing costs of college uh, tuition. Uh, when you when the government makes money available for something, they're going to raise their prices. And so Comcast, which, of course, owns NBC, CNBC, MSNBC, all these news outlets that, that, that frankly, have been supportive yeah. uh, of this infrastructure bill, are, are going to benefit from it. And, and that's why the ultimate winners here are not going to be poor people who can't afford uh, Internet service. It's it's going to be these corporations because they're simply going to raise their price, the amount of the subsidy that the government is giving to poor people. If you are a poor person, though, that's getting $30 a month to have free internet, we would love it if you'd use your internet to download this podcast. Though. That's like, right. I mean, that's right. No, exactly right. You know, no judgment there. We don't care what kind of internet you use as long as you download yeah. and hit that yeah. review button, baby. That's yeah. exactly right. That was the Comcast carve out. This is the drill down carve out. <laughs> uh, but here's the other problem um, that uh, you have with this digital equity is you've got $42.5 billion billion dollars that's going to be provided in grants to go to states for various broadband projects. This is going to be administered by the Department of Commerce, yeah, also known as the Department of Cronyism. I mean, this is the Department of the federal government that uh, has the worst record for doling out cash to political allies and friends and people that are going to hire you when you leave the government because they get discretion. They claim there's sort of this quote unquote objective standard. But anytime they they send out this money, uh, the Commerce Department is always engaging in sort of a corrupt behavior. One person's commerce is another person's cronyism. There you go. That's exactly right. So that's digital equity. That's one example of crony capitalism. Uh, but there's another one, uh, a 19th century. We, t- we were talking about broadband. We were talking about high tech. You move on to Amtrak. Yeah, this is the two ends of the technological spectrum <laughs> That's right. of the exactly. infrastructure, right? That, We've got broadband and we have passenger rail. That's right. Passenger rail, which is Apparently, supposedly the future. Like, are we 100% sure that carrier pigeons are not in the infrastructure <laughs> bill? You haven't <laughs> they, read it. They, they may be getting subsidies as well, yeah. Eric. Um, Amtrak is going to be getting the most money uh, that it has had since it started rail service in 1971. Dude, let's go. So this is forward-looking, uh, the tech future. Um, what they've done in this bill... The, by the way, is they've shifted the goal of Amtrak. Originally, it was to, quote, a achieve a performance level sufficient to justify expending public money. So the goal originally for Amtrak was we need to try to be profitable. We need to be try to be efficient. Well, that has not worked since 1970. Fell a little shy of that mark, as it turns <laughs> so, out. So what do you do? You just change the goalpost. Now the goal is, quote, unquote, providing service continue to operate like can you run a train that's literally the goal that's exactly right and so you know the question that you have to ask yourself is who actually rides amtrak uh i know there's tra- uh, rail service around the mm-hmm. uh around the country but a lot of it a lot of the subsidies here are for what's called the acela corridor yep. you've ridden acela i've ridden acela uh and it basically runs from boston to washington dc and i've been on that train many times and generally you see lobbyists politicians corporate lawyers media types going to and from washington dc so this is a subsidy to one of the wealthiest segments of america was that your impression when you were on acela 
my impression was that it was pretty cool to sit on the train. And of course, when you're rolling with Schweitzer, you know, it's business class or above. Right? So like no complaints <laughs> from me. But then the other people need to realize if you travel with Peter Schweitzer, it's, that's like the one time things were like convenient and efficient. He's made us drive from New York to Washington, D.C. previously like in a snowstorm because he wanted to have, you know, the ability to just like converse freely. He's like worried about people listening to him on the train. Yeah. Ironically, we're now having a conversation that literally anyone can listen to <laughs> if they download. But no. Consistency is not a strong point but, for me all the time. But it is funny that um, we would spend money. This it does appear to be what you could consider to be an elite carve out, right? Absolutely. And everybody knows Joe Biden, Joe Biden Amtrak, Hunter Biden used to be on the board of Amtrak, which by the way, he like the credentials for that appointment was read by a Delaware senator saying, well, he grew up riding the train a lot. Yeah, yeah. Right? Senator uh, Carper literally said that when yeah. Hunter Biden was was to be placed on the Amtrak board. And he said Hunter Biden has spent a lot of time on Amtrak trains. But it's probably not shocking that Joe Biden, given the whole like, the, the myth of Joe like riding the train back to Delaware every every weekend or whatever it was that uh, that Amtrak's going to get taken care of. Yeah, Amtrak's going to get taken care of. But this again, Biden, I think, illustrates the the problem that comes with this. The strings that are attached with politicians doling out money. Everybody or a lot of people know the story of Joe Biden riding the rails. He talked about it. He campaigned on it. He created a myth about it. But I did a little research on this, and in my last book, we highlighted the fact that the local media in Delaware pointed out that Joe Biden did yes ride Amtrak. But if he was running late, he would call Amtrak and they would literally hold the train for him until he arrived. Dude, what a flex. Okay. <laughs> like that is power. That is absolute power. But why would Amtrak listen to Joe Biden? Mm -hmm. Because he's a United States Senator and, and they need the, the government cash. So this illustrates that, that, you know, the, the, the problem with this crony capitalism uh, that is embedded in this bill. And just for fun, like you said, Biden would hold the Amtrak train, but you, there was a day when, when airlines were more heavily regulated federally that that they also used to be held up that's exactly right so in 1978 uh was the deregulation of the uh, airline industry but before that it was very famous that if a congressman or a senator particularly on the transportation that's committee amazing. was running late they would call national airport and say uh, i'm running a little late <laughs> i need you to hold the flight to tampa and they would that's cool. because again you know it's it's the power and this is this is an illustration of, you know, a line that has been attributed to Reagan. It's been attributed to Lincoln. I'm not sure the origins of it, but to the extent that the government can do something for you, mm -hmm. it can do something to you. And that's what applies to Amtrak. It applies to the airline industry and applies to the American population as well. Well, and speaking of doing something to you, I think there's another provision, which I think, you know, has raised your eyebrows. I think anybody would be concerned about the idea of, hey, it's one thing you want to invest in roads. It's one thing you want to invest in bridges and airports. But when you get into stuff that starts to shape behavior yeah. in the name of infrastructure, I mean, we're now, I mean, to the extent that human behavior is social infrastructure, that appears to be addressed in this bill as well, at least, at least a step towards that. That's exactly right. They've got something called a vehicle per mile user fee. It's a user fee. It's not a tax. Mm -hmm. They, they want to try to make that clear. But of course, it is a tax. And basically what the legislation does, it enables the secretary of transportation, that would be Pete Buttigieg, 
uh, to establish a pilot program to demonstrate a national motor vehicle per mile user fee. The basic problem is, is that we pay uh, a federal gas tax, um, which is around 18 cents. Uh, that goes into uh, the highway trust fund. Uh, they don't think they have enough money in the highway trust fund. And so what they want to do is they now want to start taxing you, not just for the gas you buy, but for how many miles you drive. Uh, and what this is going to end up doing is 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 hitting everybody, regardless of income. Um, it is a tax. And of course, Joe Biden promised that he was not going to raise taxes on anybody with income below four hundred thousand dollars a year. Uh, this is going to affect everyone. And, and the problem is they're going to present this as, well, we need to raise money this is about raising revenue because the gas tax they started like in 93 it was at 18 cents yep. it was going to go up to 24 cents there was a proposal to raise the gas tax by another 25 cents over the next five years of the trump administration yep. trump administration balked at that but this is a conversation that it's not just happening federally it happens at the local level as well right in florida there's rules about you can only have so much of a gas tax. And so then they try to figure out, can we max that out? And right. can we go to a user fee? Because if, if gas taxes can't keep up and or as vehicles become more fuel efficient or people are driving electric vehicles, things like that, then we don't have enough money to continue to have the funds to take care of the roads. Right. So we're getting yeah. less money. So the roads need to be taken care of. That, that's sort of generally what fuels no pun intended a lot of the thought behind this discussion yeah and look it's worth having a conversation the problem is with this vehicle per mile user fee is uh it, it is a horribly ineffective way uh to raise revenue the american transportation research institute looked into this it's going to cost 300 times what the gas tax does because you've got to set up the infrastructure where you sort of you know are able to determine how many miles people drive you then got to figure out a way to collect it so it's a terribly ineffective way um the other problem though is it also has a component about controlling your life and social engineering because you already see this if you uh, go to washington dc on the beltway um you'll be stuck in traffic on the beltway and then they will say hey you can use this special lane but we're going to charge you 20 bucks to mm -hmm. use the special lane where there's future traffic. Uh, so, again, it's a way of trying to manipulate and control people. That's not the role of government. The role of government is to provide services. Uh, we know that they need to collect money for taxes. But trying to manipulate and control people's behavior because they think we should drive less. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you tell to the guy who, who runs a plumbing business in, in a rural community? He's got to drive all kinds of different places. He's going to be taxed because he's choosing to do a job to service his customers, he's going to pay more taxes than a guy who's a corporate lawyer living in Washington, D.C., who lives in a $2 million penthouse and, you know, walks three blocks to his office. It does seem like if, if this is being done in the name of what they call geographic and racial equity, yeah. it seems like it potentially backfired because, yeah, it seems like the, the poorer you are, then you have to live, but you don't have the luxury of being able to identify housing that's next to where you're right. employed, or you might have to take a job further away. So um, yeah, it might end up not being exactly something that serves the least of these as it's allegedly intended. Yeah, think, think about the divide we've had uh, during the COVID lockdowns. White collar employees yep. get to work from home. Yep. Rem, uh, you know, they can work remotely. You know, if you're a plumber, if you're an electrician or you work at a fast food restaurant or a grocery store. Yeah. I mean, is an electrician going to call somebody and say, I'm going to walk you through mm -hmm. how to do this. I'm going to work from. No, they have to be there. So these are the kinds of uh, divides in this legislation. But there's another side to this. Well, and that's not the only provision, right, that appears to be 
intentionally or otherwise tailored towards the elites. Yeah, that, well, that's exactly right. And so the uh, the other part is what I would call consultant infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So what do we mean by consultant infrastructure? There's a whole bunch of money in this bill uh, that goes now probably effectively going to become a law uh, that is geared towards funding ridiculous studies. Now, these are studies that are done by consultants that oftentimes donate to political campaigns. A lot of them are former government employees, but they're going to be spending money uh, to do a study on limousine safety research. I mean, do we not know what is safe and unsafe to do in a limousine? Well, I'll say to do in a car. Well, I've, I've been on a couple of limousines this summer and I've seen both safe and unsafe oh, behavior. Do, do tell. So I'm, well, you know, if anybody wants to talk to me, I'll give out my digits a little bit, you know, <laughs> give me a check. I will give you some feedback. <laughs> right? Yeah. But I mean, the, the point is, why are you uh, doing this now? One of the explanations might be Nancy Pelosi's husband actually owns a limousine service company. You think that's the explanation? I think it's a possible explanation. I don't think that's the explanation. I think that's a I think possible that's an interesting fact that's but, but, unconnected to but this. But to me, to me it is a it is a ridiculous uh thing to be spending money on. I mean, look, if you're not wearing your seatbelt in the limousine and there's an accident, you're going to be in trouble. If you are sticking your head out of the sunroof, yelling and screaming with champagne in your in your in your hand, uh, listen to Beyonce, and there's an accident, you're probably going to die. This is not that very uh, difficult. They're also, by the way, funding a study on driving and marijuana research, uh, and this is going to be involving creating a clearinghouse to quote collect and distribute samples and strains of marijuana for scientific research. We've actually had quite a few employees interested in this particular topic here at the office. Oh, I and, bet we uh, did. It turn, turns out they've been volunteering on this effort for some time. <laughs> it is, it is. But your your point would be that you- They don't, don't even want to be paid, right? They don't, they're, they're, like, they're volunteers. That they, I, I volunteer. So you don't see this as being relevant because you feel like it's, uh, you know, hey man, what do we need to know if you- you can't drive while you're uh yeah, I mean if you're, I mean is it is it really I mean okay look you educated me a little bit because I'm kind of naive on these things yeah, maybe there of. maybe there are different strains in marijuana that impair driving in a different way but mm-hmm. really do we have to study driving in marijuana I mean it's like alcohol. It doesn't matter if you're drinking gin or bourbon or beer. If you are impaired, you're impaired. And I think it's the same thing. And I think it's a carve out to these consultants. They're also doing, by the way, just so you know, for your personal safety benefit, they're going to be doing a yacht safety study as well. Yeah, I wonder if there's behaviors you can do on a yacht that you can't do in a party limo, right? Like, if it's like no, no, that's permiss- that's a yacht, that's a yacht activity. I will say this: one thing that's definitely different about yachts and limos, like limos. Everybody's trying to listen to rap music that I'm on a limo. You know what I mean? Right. Like there's clearly like yacht rock. You want to listen to some of that like light rock, some of the seventies. But on a limo, man, it's like Cardi B totally, and Dr. Dre. You are totally stereotyping. Like, like yo, hundred percent. Like nothing like peanut butter and jelly, white people and rap music on limousines. Like that has been my experience this summer. <laughs> And I'm just saying, that's how it is. So we're, we're going to do an entire- That's a little tidbit for the study for free. You want yeah. more of that? You come talk to me. We're going to do an entire podcast on Eric's uh, stories from the limousine. Uh, they're going to spend $50 million on low-emitting ferries. They're going to study wildlife and vehicle collisions. Now, this was a big one. So, because I was like, what are we studying on wildlife and vehicle collisions? By the way, the, the low-emitting ferries thing is another, in some ways, intended for a kind of an elites, right? Because yeah. I think, like, so- 
I have family that live in the Bay Area, and they actually will now, you know, they live in one of these like very wealthy enclaves, right? And they now will take the ferry right. to San Francisco. They live they live in a, in a wealthy island or a wealthy peninsula. Same thing in in Seattle where I grew up. Mm-hmm. You live in the San Juan Islands, very expensive upscale neighborhoods. You want to take the ferry uh, to work, yeah. While while uh, the 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 average person is stuck on Interstate Five in traffic. Yeah, like how many plumbers do you know taking ferries to work? <laughs> <laughs> not no disrespect very, to fairies. Not I mean, very or plumbers. Yeah, you know exactly. But still, so again, these are these are these types of subsidies that are geared in a particular direction. Okay, but we got to talk about this wildlife and vehicle collisions thing because yeah. um, I was like, okay, we're spending money on this. How big of a deal is this really? Yeah. And so I found this Pew Center study. So of course, one to two million crashes between motor vehicles and large animals like a deer occur every year. So 200 deaths a year, 26,000 injuries, 8 billion in property damage and other costs, right? Yeah. So in rural states like Wyoming, wildlife crashes represent one in five accidents. I believe it. Which is insane. Well, okay. what's a, what is a study going to, I mean, it, it, it's it's ridiculous. Well, so I apparently mean, apparently they feel like they have new data that show, <laughs> no, seriously, which shows what they call hotspots for where animal crossings occur. And I bet if you go to, say, Laramie, Wyoming, mm-hmm. they will say there are a lot of deer on that road. <laughs> yeah. Stay away. You don't need a study no, to No, we need new this. technology. Okay, well, fun fact. So question, what state do you think is the number one state for animal or wildlife collisions with cars. Based on my personal experience, Florida. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Florida, ironically, we live in Florida, not even in the top 20. Seriously? Not even in the top 20, which is crazy because literally, and this is true, last week I had to take Peter Schweitz or something, and a quarter mile outside his neighborhood on this canopy road was a giant old alligator that got hit by a truck and was dead on the side of the road. And this is like a seven-foot alligator. And smelled horribly. And I, I kind of hesitate to say this because I think people have a stereotype about Florida and they were like inundated with alligators. Uh, but it's 100% true. There's a dead alligator <laughs> right outside. <laughs> they got hit by hey, a car. Hey, let's spend federal money to study what happened. Yeah. I mean, it's, we, spent, it's, it's we spent federal money. Remember on this uh, this turtle tunnel? So we we spent money to create like a bridge that would go over this lake because turtles, so turtles wouldn't get killed. Right. And then what happened, and this is true, is people said alligators just started hanging out underneath <laughs> the turtle or underneath the tunnel. And they would eat the turtles, right? That's right. Okay. But the number one state for animal uh, wildlife collisions with vehicles is not Florida. It's actually, drumroll please, West Virginia. Oh, wow. West Virginia. They'd be having a hard time uh, avoiding animals in old West Virginia, <laughs> possibly because they're on some of those strains of marijuana. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know. Don't dis West I'm, no, no, it's no I love West Virginia. I'm just connecting some content, Peter. <laughs> it's actually a high-level broadcast skill. Yeah. We're also spending, by the way, $250 million in this infrastructure bill on invasive plant program, Mm -hmm. which is to get rid of invasive. This is basically the kudzu carve out uh, because of all the kudzu that's growing on the uh, the side of the road in the American South. So the bottom line is, do you not remember what in Tallahassee uh, that there was a program where they just hired goats, right? They had they sent out like goats to eat the kudzu. Yeah. A little bit cheaper than the 250. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I I, I bet the goat farmers are probably trying to get some of this uh, federal program as well. So the bottom line is, this is a monstrosity of a bill. Uh, it has been uh, uh, approved by the Senate. It's going to head to the House. 
We have talked today about some of the guts of what's in it. We are going to talk to it in our, about it in our next podcast. We're going to explain to you some of the people who voted for this bill mm-hmm. and how they got paid, why they or their family members or their major contributors were so enthusiastic about this bill. It's going to, we're going to show you how the sausage was made um, and why it's so important to understand why we don't get good legislation in this country. Anymore. Are you going to tell people how we're paying for this, by the way? Uh, I guess we can tell people how we're going to pay for this. Or at least um, partly how we're going to pay for it, right? Par- I mean, there's some gas taxes, there's some mileage taxes. That's part of what they intend to do to be the funding mechanism for this one trillion. Of course, if Nancy Pelosi has her way, three and a half trillion dollar program. Right. But I think people, you know, hey, that all sounds kind of good, but maybe not if we're going to spend some of the money yeah. from something else. Like it's yeah. another strategic resource. Yeah. So now imagine at home, you're at your house and you have a, an emergency fund, mm-hmm. right? If something really gets, you know, somebody has a hospital or, or, you know, the car breaks down, you've got that emergency fund. And, and I were to come to you, Eric, and say, you know what, let's take this emergency fund and let's just blow it on a weekend in Vegas. That's basically what they're doing here with this infrastructure program, because part of the way they're paying for it is is they're going to you know, pay for these studies, pay for this uh, carve-out to compact cast, pay for these other set-asides by selling 87.6 million barrels of crude oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And what is Strategic Petroleum Reserve? It is oil that we have stored in case there is an energy crisis. We've used it during the Gulf Wars, both of them. We've used it at other times when gas prices have spiked. We're going to pay for this monstrosity bill by selling part of what I would argue is our emergency account in case we have an energy crisis and we need uh, oil for the American people to ride their cars and heat their homes. I want to say initially I balked at your comparing like a massive infrastructure bill to a weekend in Vegas, but <laughs> limos, pot, wildlife kind of checks out. We got it all there. We yeah, got it's it all, all right there. there. Well, this is Peter Schweitzer. You've joined me and Eric Eggers for another episode of The Drill Down. Uh, you can find out more about the podcast and listen to it on thedrilldown.com. Uh, please send us your comments and messages. Uh, we always enjoy hearing from you. And we will see you next week on The Drill Down. Thank you. Thank you.